Welcome back, everyone, to another Welcome to the J podcast episode. I am your host, Jahans Maniga, a.k.a. 12. We have so much to talk about. Both teams from the Korean Blue Jays are dancing. We're going to get into all of that. But before we do, make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Networks. You can get content such as this. Myself, represent my alma mater. A bunch of different representatives representing their alma maters as well. I have a very special guest, a reoccurring guest on this show, and I'm just going to keep bringing him back because he's got a wealth of knowledge. He's the big-time contributor at White and Blue Review, uh, host of uh, Scary in the Scrub, Blue Jay Beat. Matt DeMarinas is back on the podcast. Welcome back, Matt. What's up, sir? Thank you for having me back on. I must have done good oh. I'm so yeah you you must have did something because uh that was one of the episodes that people were i got a lot of good feedback when you were on uh, i Ooh. guess people were like hearing us uh talk together so i've been oh, on your shows you have now there's a second time coming on my show so let's keep giving the people what they want that's right i'm down for that i'm actually like i'm not people are looking behind me i got the blue jay that's not my banner this is like the <laughs> This is like the Creighton Media Manor, but I'm in the house that Jahan's Manor got built right now. So, Let's go. To you. we are li- we are live and direct from the Champion Center in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Let's get it. I feel like I'm right back there right now. Like it's giving me goosebumps that you're in there and we're recording this podcast. Yeah, that was the vibe I wanted to create for you. Mainly, I mean, let's be honest, they got a two o'clock media availability that we were running up against, so I had to be somewhere within the vicinity of that while yeah. doing this podcast. So. uh but yeah, I feel like we can get, we can like, we can, I'm bringing Jahens back home a little bit for this one. So hopefully he can, he can get some energy from it. That works. Oh, you know, I'm always full of energy, but that certainly works for me. And <laughs> just uh, PSA, if you guys are hearing the basketballs bouncing around, like that's totally fine. Uh, we're just going to power through it and keep giving people the information that they need, the information that they want. Matt, let's get into it. We're going to set up on the boys side. What a wild weekend down in New York. Uh, pretty tough game against Marquette that we were able to squeeze out. Absolutely destroyed the living being out of Providence, which I love to see a little bit of retribution from my 2014 year when they beat us in the Big East Conference Tournament Championship. And then just a tough game against Villanova. Ended up losing by six, if I'm not mistaken, down the stretch. Uh, you have Colin Gillespie, Big East Player of the Year, who lived up to his name when the moment mattered the most, knocking down back-to-back triples, coming off high ball screens to lead Villanova into a victory for that game. Let's talk about, about that Big East Championship game. I just felt like both teams, not only us, both teams just had little to no legs going into that championship matchup. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to move while I answer this because I just realized you might get sued by First National Bank if I have that in the <laughs> <laughs> hey no for, okay no no, no. I, i'm so i'm so happy you just said that because first national bank might owe me some money my freshman year I was oh, hey, their, okay I, I was in one of their ads and i'll go back on youtube and pull it up i'm doing a layup and the first national bank sign is right above my head so i don't know if they try Maybe to I sue put, me them, back, I put them back in then and steal some advertising <laughs> if, if if they try to sue us for this little bit of advertisement, I'd like to get some money back for this national bank. I'm, I'm, I'm coming at your head top if that's the case. Like, hey, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry to get sidetracked. Yeah. If, you know, I think the third day in that tournament is always like just a battle of wills. And, you know, you, you expect to see some kind of a grinder there. Um, I don't know. Because, like, you look at the way Villanova played those first two games. The St. John's one was out of the wire. The UConn one was a rock fight down to the wire. Um, so maybe there was a, you know, a thought maybe that Creighton could be the fresher team because they played early on uh, Thursday and Friday. Um, but also, you know, that they're just like the, the bench isn't very deep right now. So, you know, I think you expected – I expected a grinder in that championship game. The one thing I was curious about was – if one team got rolling, could the other respond? Because that's usually kind of a deflating moment in a game where, like, man, they just put a run on us. We're kind of on fumes. Like, this might get out of hand, you know. But mm-hmm. every time Villanova did that, like, they would, they, you know, where they would hit, you know, score on three out of four possessions or, you know, turn Creighton over four times in a six, seven possession stretch. Like, Creighton kept responding. And I think that was another sign of just, like, how tough this team is, you know. They're connected. They play well defensively. They're hard to score on. And I think that just kept them in the fight the whole time, you know, and they just found just enough offense in stretches 
to stay within striking distance. And then obviously they made the run down the stretch of the second half to get the lead real quick before Colin Gillespie did his thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was a, it was a really. I mean, honestly, I know Gus Johnson wasn't loving it, but I thought it was a great championship game. Like a that's what that's a Big East battle at MSG, in my opinion. Like I think that's what it looks like on Championship Saturday, in my opinion. Well, we know the thing: defense travels. That's certainly true for the Jays. In the Jays' case, Ryan Cockburner showed up and showed out, especially on the defensive end. Like, I think what he did offensively is going to overshadow a lot of what he did defensively. But Crane does not stay in that game if he's not a part of that. Uh, guys funneling the offense into him, him altering and blocking shots, running down the floor, getting first big post touches, opportunities, and then obviously cleaning up offensive rebound opportunities whenever he got the chance. Uh, I, I said it the last podcast that I recorded last year after the Gonzaga loss, I said that uh, what Timmy did to Cockburner was the best thing that could have happened to Cockburner. He absolutely showed him what's what when it comes to college basketball, with all the footwork, the up and unders, you know, pulling him out to the three-point line. I think Ryan Cockburner really has grown up in front of our eyes, and he's looking like he's going to be an absolute monster this year. Talk to me about how impressed you were with his Biggies tournament title run. Uh, obviously, him and Kaluma earning all-tournament Biggies uh, nominations. And, and just, you know, what has impressed or what did impress you from what Cockburner did this weekend? Yeah, I mean, when he was announced as Defensive Player of the Year, for, I mean, I think it was a surprise to a lot of people who follow Creighton because they got that wrong in 2020 with Tyshawn Alexander. And then so there was some surprise there. It's like, oh, wow, they got it right, in our opinion. Then, then Providence fans and some East Coast fans kind of thought Justin Manaya was got robbed a little bit, so – it was kind of funny because I don't know how much players feed into that stuff when they think about it, but clearly if you watch Providence Butler, Justin Manaya was like motivated by it. Right. But mm -hmm. flat out this past weekend, put it all to rest. Like the best defensive player in the, in the league is Ryan Kalkbinner. You Marquette couldn't score on him. Providence couldn't score on him. And Villanova was sending dudes to him, like on the pass, like normally you like to be, what does Mac always say? Be there on the catch. Right. Like yeah. Nova was like, sprinting to the lane the minute they threw the ball in they were sprinting to that man so he was a problem um if honestly i don't know how you feel about this but if if uh if like if gillespie doesn't do what he does down the stretch i think Kalkbender was the most outstanding player of the tournament that i was leaning towards that way for sure because it was a toss-up between him and kaluma in my opinion and i just think Kalkbender's impact defensively is what kaluma can't really match up to and then his offensive numbers were really good as well, obviously. And that's how crazy it is, like, as far as, like, individual uh, achievements are concerned. It's like those two shots hit front rim or back rim. Not only does Curtin win that game, uh, but you get an accolade, like, Big East Tournament Player uh, of the Year. Like, that's – or most uh, – most player, player, right? Yeah. Yeah. So MLP. it's just, like – it's just so – the margins are just so close. Like, every little inch matters for sure. And in Cockburner's case, yeah, he wasn't able to bring that one home. Um, but that doesn't mean that what he has achieved and, and the way that he's continued to grow and the way that he's continued to mature, which is what I, I love the most about his game. His game now has a little bit of maturity to it and some excitement. He's not yelling at the crowd. Anytime he gets to N1, you can see the emotions on his face. That's what I'm talking about, like – when you want to be that defensive presence, it's not only what you can do on the floor, but you have to also have that a little bit like intimidation factor where the guys know, look, I'm here. Uh, you guys can't score on me. You will never score on me. And I'm going to be loud about it and make sure that you guys know. So, you know, me, as far as someone that looks to rile up the, the fans, I love seeing that. I just think it, I, I think it's indicative of how much confidence he has. Cause like, <laughs> It's, it's not just – because that's that's outward, right? The energy of pumping up the crowd, of yelling, screaming, of talking. Like, when Manaya fouled him hard um, in the Providence game, he just smiled up at him. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, come yeah, on, bro. Like, yeah, but we're up 30, you know what I mean? Like, scoreboard. scoreboard. Uh, that, to me, exudes – like, it's, it's, it's indicative of how much confidence he's playing with right now. Because I think if you're, if you're out there with, like, a low level of belief, I don't think you have the, the – you know, the mindset to be that outward with your energy. You know what I mean? I think you're focused so much on not screwing up that you don't really think about the, the, the crowd or the moment or things like that. It might, you know, cause you might, you might be at risk of it consuming you. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I think I think I think his 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 screams, like his primal roar, his uh his war cry, and then like the things that he does to pump up the crowd and get in his teammates' faces, I think that's all a sign of how much confidence he has right now in his own game. That's what that's what it looks like to me anyway. Rob Anderson tweeted that this might be the beginning of his All America campaign as a junior next year. I obviously I'm very biased and I tend to agree with that. What say you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the bigs don't get a lot of love in that, so you got to be really, really good to stand out. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he'll definitely, if he's not a preseason. I'm trying to think. Do they do three teams in the preseason? I'm not sure. I think they might just do one, but yeah, I, I know the end of the, the season. One. Yeah, the end of the season is definitely three. So if you're asking me, is Ryan Kalkbrenner like, if it is, is his trajectory trending towards being one of the top 15 players in the country? Yeah. Like, I think you're seeing – it's hard to argue with what he does on both ends of the floor and how efficient he is offensively, too. It's not like, you know, Creighton throws it into him and he's a 50% proposition down there. Like, he he was 8 for 10 against Villanova, you know what I mean? So Yeah, and, and um, he's demanding double teams now on the catch. Yeah, right? Not even right. on the dribble. They're not even trying to set him up as far as, like, a baseline trap is concerned. As soon as he catches the ball, there's one guy on him and there's another guy rotating immediately, so – obviously caught the attention of the defenses now. The other part of it is, too, Creighton hasn't really implemented a whole, you know, a whole lot of structure to play through him for, for a large part of the season. It hasn't – it only started maybe the second half or even later. And that's a – that's, you know, when you talk to the staff, like that's a, that's a priority of theirs in the offseason is to, to you, know, you know – Feature uh, him more. Yeah, just and, and and honestly, work on his low post game a little bit more in the off season too. So he's ready for, he's ready for that on day one, because uh, I do think they want to play more inside out next year. Um, you know, they've seen the growth he's made, especially, you know, in just the way he's able to finish around the rim with both hands over both shoulders. Uh, you know, aside from his defensive impact, like he can control the game offensively too, and 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 really make teams have to have to worry about dealing with his presence on both ends of the floor. And I think that's something that the staff has definitely um, circled in terms of something they want to harp on in the offseason with his game. So you, I think you might even see him make more of a jump, as scary as that sounds, uh, next year offensively, just consider, just in that, in that regard alone, how much they want to feature him offensively. So I must admit that I got to eat crow a little bit on this podcast. Uh, Arthur Kaluma absolutely – proved me wrong uh, near the middle of the year. I felt like, you know, he wasn't showing out as much as he should have, uh, that he had a lot more promise than what he was showing on the floor. In the second half, especially in the later part of the season, he's absolutely gone to work. And I don't know what those MSG rims said or did to him, but Kaluma was going at them with vengeance. Uh, talk to me about how great he was in this three-game stretch. Uh, I mentioned it on last week's podcast with Michael Vandervoort. It seems like the brighter the lights, the better his play gets, which I'm, which is a good sign for Jays fans as tournament is looming right around the corner. Talk to me about uh, Kaluma and, and what you saw from him and, you know, what has gotten him to finally kind of be settled and poised into the position that he is right now and for him to continue to, for, for him to, continue to play great basketball. Yeah, so I think you probably can speak to this a little bit, what I'm about to say. Uh, I just think there's some confidence that he's getting from his work that he's putting in. Because he really does. I mean, this, this, this young group works really hard. They're gym rats. And, and honestly, they come in with a lot of, like, high-level experience, too. You know, Kaluma's played on international games that, you know, have a lot of, like, country pride involved. And Ryan Nemhard's done the same. Ryan Kalkbrenner's done the same. Um, and you see all those three guys are all really hard workers too. So all that stuff kind of, you know, it's baked in there, you know, and then you see he had, you know, the speed bump that he had to deal with was the injury. And then, mm-hmm. you know, how quickly he was able to recover from that. Cause the, the conventional wisdom around injuries is it takes you twice as long to get back to where you were before it. Right. You know, from a recovery standpoint and then, uh, and then a playing at that level again standpoint. So I just think he's getting a lot of confidence from his work ethic, honestly. Like, he's putting in the time in the gym, and he's got that experience in big games on big stages to lean on. So, you know, it's kind of something that Ryan Hawkins talked about yesterday in the press conference. Like, 
they're not these young guys on the team aren't really afraid of anything yet. Like they don't. It's 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 kind of out of ignorance a little bit. They don't know any better. They don't know what the what they're supposed to be intimidated by these stages that they're on. Um, and I think you see that in their play. Like they just they go out there and they just do what they do every day in the gym, and it just translates. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain it, but I just think I've always seen players who really don't get consumed by the moment. Th- those are the ones that work the hardest in the gym. You know what I mean? Because they're just they prepare themselves for everything that they're going that they're going to deal with, and then as long as they can focus mentally on just the basketball part of things, everything between the lines, their their work takes over. You know what I mean? The the everything all yeah. the all the all the reps they've done in the gym when no one's watching, it takes over when twenty thousand are watching. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's kind of the key to it all. What's so crazy to me is the patience that he kind of plays with, like he's got, I said this about Cochrane just now, he's got a mature game. Uh, Vandervoort last week compared him to Paul Pierce in a sense, slow, deliberate shot fake. The three isn't quite falling for him yet, but he's able to get to his mid range. He's able to explode at the rim. Obviously if he sees a smaller guy, he just simply backs him down and tries to get a good post position against them. Uh, those are some things that you wouldn't expect a freshman to be able to do, but he wasn't doing them early on in the year. He really struggled shooting her ball earlier in the year. And I think it kind of messed up with his confidence as his confidence has grown. And as he's been able to put together back to back, good games, boy, sky's the limit for Kaluma. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan now. Like I, I just, I can't wait to see what he's going to do in this first round of the NCAA tournament. And I'm like, just like every other Jace fan, I'm seeing him as like one of the guys that we could really pass uh, the keys to the offense to moving forward. Well, there's probably like a little bit, you know, when you think about freshmen trying to deal with what what's the one thing freshmen always say when they come to the D1 level, like what's the hardest adjustment? Speed of the game, right? Yeah. Number one, the game moves a lot faster and with more purpose than it does in high school, right? Like where you can just slow it down, ISO and do your thing. Um, and then I think, there's an, I think there's a period where you overcorrect because you try to play faster than the game. To, 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 to speed to speed up with it, right? You're trying to catch up and yeah. overcorrect a little bit. So I think early on when you watched Arthur, it was like there was a little bit of overcorrection there. Like he was playing too fast, too out of control, thinking he had to catch up to the game. And I think now what we're seeing and why it's translated into his play is he's more – he's figured that out. I think Brian Nemhart was figuring it out too, and clearly Trey Alexander has. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like they just understand now – when to go, when to chill. Like, they're figuring out that that sweet spot um, of how, you know, how hard to push, push the gas pedal to the floor according to what the game is telling them to do. You know what I mean? I think that's what we're seeing now. It's crazy the growth of Trey Alexander as well. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball too well in that finals, but big-time setups to O'Connell to put the Jays up uh, down the stretch. And, again, if Billy Gillespie does – or yeah, if uh, Gillespie doesn't hit those shots, uh, the Jays end up walking away and winning that game. But for Trey Alexander to be in off guard, to be pushed to that point guard spot, oh, he was also doing a little bit of back backup point guard as Ryan Nemhar was still active. Obviously, since Nemhar got injured, he got pushed to the starting point guard role. He's really done a fantastic job uh, running the show for the Jays. And what has surprised me the most is that for whatever reason, the total turnovers, when you look at the end of the game, from what it used to be in the beginning of the season, has gone down tremendously with Trey Alexander running point. Maybe it's because they're not speeding the ball up the floor as much as they did with Nemhard, or maybe it's just something that Trey has figured out. Uh, what about the growth in his game, and what could the Jays fans expect to see in the NCAA tournament from him? Well, first of all, how about those lead passes? I mean, <laughs> just just letting that ball as soon as he gets that outlet, his head is up. He's letting that ball fly. Yeah, I mean, those things are on the money. I, I mm-hmm. I'm I'm super. I don't know how easy that is to do once you figure that out, but it looks difficult. And he puts them, yeah, right at the rim for those guys. So, um, yeah, with Trey, it's like you. I I think you know you watch the first you know preseason practices and things and tried to get a feel for what his strengths were and I. I kind of always felt like he had the pace of play at this level figured out 
pretty early on. Like, I don't think he was ever a guy who got too out of control very often. And I, and, and you're right. Like they, they have deliberately slowed things down for him because you can't throw everything that he's just not Ryan Nemhard. You know what I mean? He doesn't play the same way. Mm-hmm. And you he's can't just going to do it differently than what Ryan is going exactly. to do. Yeah. Like be opportunistic in the transition, but you don't always have to be in like as much of a hurry as, as Ryan was. And it took Ryan a little bit too, to learn how to, you know, constantly be at that speed. Once you touch the ball, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So for Trey, it's just like, you know, you just you simplify as much as possible for him and just let him do his thing that he's naturally gifted at doing, you know, the playing with a good steady pace, um, you know, taking care of the basketball, not being in too much of a hurry, uh, making the right pass, setting his feet in the paint, making plays off of that, uh, getting to his pull-up game, which is nasty. Uh you know, I think it's I nasty. Like, his pull up game is nasty in so many different ways. So he's is, just got that traditional one two yeah. dribble. He'll he'll spin off a guy. Like he does it in so many different ways. I've been so impressed. Every time every once in a while, I'm just like, that is not a good old kid just went in. You know, like he's yeah. giving me a lot of like Josh Jones moments where I'm just like, no, 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 Trey, don't and the ball goes in. So it, like hey, his pull up game it's, is that's, elite. That's his that's his kill spot. If he's got a kill spot, you let him get to that and don't, don't like that might not be the greatest shot in the world, like traditionally, but if it's his money move, like you let, you let him do his thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's just played his game just in a different position. And I think Creighton has adjusted around him. That's kind of what mm-hmm. I feel like the, the secret to their stretch run has been, you know what I mean? Cause if you had tried to plug Trey's game into what, Ryan Nemhart had done, I don't think Creighton would have been successful. I think that would I think it would have been as disastrous as it seemed like it was going to be. Because they've played nothing but NCAA tournament teams since Nemhard went down, right? Um they they could have lost to every single one of them. Had they tried to plug Trey Alexander into Ryan Nemhard's, you know, game. All they did was plug Trey Alexander into Ryan Nemhard's position. And everybody right. else around that was they just adjusted accordingly. And I think that's kind of why they were able to be successful. So, I mean, Trace is doing his thing. I don't, he looks comfortable out there. So, um, I think he's in a good spot right now. I really do. Before we move on to the next topic, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, more reliable. With the basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. Gambling problems? Call telephone number 1-800-GAMBLER. So the boys were ranked preseason number eight in the Big East. Uh, they beat all those odds. Obviously, you and I talked about it with uh, it's, your it's, co-host, it's, Jordan Scurry. Uh, we decided that in the MAC era, as long as the head coach of the Korean Blue Jays, no more under four in preseason rankings. I think it's what we ended up uh, deciding uh, when we were on that podcast. So preseason number eight, they end up being number four in Big East rankings, end up losing in the conference tournament championship game uh, i will say this <laughs> and i don't know if a lot of people uh got that but that's what i did from when coach mag shook coach cooley's hands they're the best of friends obviously but i gotta say there was a little bit of a smirk on coach mag's face like you stole my coach of the year award and i'm gonna make you pay for it i don't know if he did that deliberately or whatever and i'm not even trying to like start being between the two i know they're, they're really good friends but for me, it felt really good to see Coach Mack kind of have that moment, especially after putting a whooping like that on Providence. Uh, did you kind of get that feel, too, that, like, that Providence game meant a little bit more? Because, you know, those are the two guys that I thought were in strong consideration for Coach of the Year. Uh, obviously, this is an ultra-biased podcast, so we're always going to lean toward Coach Mack here in this situation. But did you just feel like there was a little bit of retribution for, for him for that game? Gosh, it's 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 so tough. I've been trying to think about why that game went the way it did, and uh, 
<clears throat> like, I, just, I think some of it is matchup based, right? Like, I don't, I think Providence, and I feel for him too, because this is not the time of the year where you want to get exposed. <laughs> yeah. You know, just get a I, dud. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of feel like it, it, it's trending that way, especially when you look at their first round matchup in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how much like the, the, you know, Providence got coach of the year thing went into it or how much the Manaya saying he, he was the defensive player of the year and Kalkbender stole it, got into it. Like, I just know this team was on a mission down the stretch and I don't know what the primary motivation for it was. I think they just wanted to prove everybody wrong about them. You know what I mean? I like no one thought they could win without, uh, without, you know, losing five starters. Everybody kind of questioned what the identity of the team looks like without Sharif defensively. And then they turned into one of the best defensive teams they've ever had at Creighton. Um, R2 goes down and you're looking at Providence, UConn, uh, Seton Hall, and then Biggie's tournament. Like, how does that go for you? Uh, and then, and then you get into the Biggie's tournament and it's like, okay, yeah, Providence is the favorite or Providence is the one seed. The one over is the favorite. UConn's the team that's going to have, like, a, you know, the whole town of stores at Madison Square Garden. Like, Creighton got put into that afterthought category time and time again this year. And I think it just fed into, like, this this whole, like, that, that why not us narrative type of deal. You know what I mean? Like, I think these guys are super fired up and super motivated by the fact that they were afterthoughts at multiple junctures of the season. So, um yeah, I don't know what, what got over them against Providence. Because that game was, like, tight for a minute. And then all of a sudden, it just flipped on its head. I mean, 25-25. Then all of a sudden. 32 to 2, right? Yeah. Like, 35 to 5. Like, have you seen something like that before? That's crazy. You know, you don't forget yeah. that. So, I'm not quite uh, sure. Well, what, what, I, you know, I kind of – I have seen that here before. Here we go. Here we go. Unfortunately. I mean, a couple of times, <laughs> I'm talking about us versus Baylor. I'm talking about last year against Georgetown in the Big East Tournament Championship. Like, I've seen kind of runs like that where they're inexplicable. If you're on the losing end of it, you're literally, like, throwing your hands up in the air. Like, what can we do to make it go right? If you're on the winning end of it, you're just like, we can't miss right now. We're throwing rocks in an ocean right now. So, yeah, uh, I've seen it on both sides. Uh, we certainly did that to teams, and we've had it done to us, too. But it's, it's about, good when we're doing it to teams. <laughs> yes. How about Ed Cooley? Uh, three timeouts before the under 16 of the second half, all gone. You ever see that's when like you that know. That, I mean, you're that's like, oh, no, I don't want to say Coach Cooley is such a good coach, but that's borderline panic mode, is it not? Not borderline like, panic. And that's flat out. <laughs> full on, full on, it's out of it, like the ship is sinking panic mode. Like, uh, we're taking on water, and none of you really are like, you don't understand. We're about to sink like any second here. Because, like, yeah, I don't know. They came out in the second – at halftime, it, was, it felt like Providence has seen this before. What were they down? It was 44-27, right, or 42-27, one of those. And it's like, you know, Providence is one run away from it being a game again. You know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. it was out of control. And then they come right out, and Creighton forces not one but two shot clock violations. Nice. And they score, and they score off of them. So like now the lead's twenty one, and Ed's like, okay, clearly you didn't hear me at halftime. So I gotta right. tell you, I gotta tell you again. And then one play later, he calls another one, and then like, and it's like, okay, what didn't you know what I mean? Now I feel like you're losing control of this thing because you've mm-hmm. just called two timeouts in about a 30, 45 second span of game time, and. I'm like, you guys are not right. You know what I mean? Like, you don't – I can tell right now you don't believe this is a normal deficit for you, that you can't – like, something else is going wrong here. And then when he called up the third one, I go, yep, it's a, it's a wrap. Yeah, I, it's I, a I flat wrap. out said – I flat out said the game was over. I don't know what it – I think it was – You – It was you, 25 points at that point. I said it was, I said it was a wrap. I don't – there was, there was like 16 minutes, and I think it was 16.03 was when he called the third one. So it was before the I said this, this they can put the walk-ons in now. Creighton can. What I what I've learned about this day and age, this era of basketball, is no lead is safe. So even when I was like, dude, they the call first out the timeout in the second half. 
I know, but even then, I was just like, boys, do not take your foot off the gas. You never know what could happen. Keep stomping away. Because I know, like, it with the three-point shot and how it's redefined this era, like, no yeah. lead is safe. Like, I, like that is the one thing for certain. Like, uh, obviously, all these Creighton fans are going to be watching the entirety of the tournament. Watch leads dwindle and watch teams crumble being up. 12, 15, 18, 21 points. Watch Leeds just slowly crumble down as, as the game, you know, diminishes. You guys will see some crazy comebacks. And that is what March Madness is, is known for. At any given point, anything could be anyone. Uh, so even when we're up 22, 25, and the game was kind of ballooning out of control, I was just like, keep your foot on the gas. Don't don't fall for that trick of like, oh, I'm laying down. Nothing's going to happen. And then, bang, they whack four or five threes in a row, and then they make a game out of it. So... I'm just happy that the boys was, stomped the yard with them. Yeah, you weren't the only one. Like one of my buddies who hosts a lot of radio, does a lot of radio in in Omaha. He's a Creighton fan. He was tweeting like, so something about I don't know. I, I'm not ready to feel like this lead's safe yet. And it was like, it was 73-44, <laughs> and I'm just like, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, you know, there's like 15 possessions left in this game, right? Like Providence literally <laughs> every single. Every single one in Creighton can't like can't even hit a free throw, and that's like that's that's how it'll that's how they'll tie it up. You know what I mean? It's just like that thing was over. You, you just you just can sense it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't matter. I don't even know because Providence. Think about when Providence called that that third timeout. You know, full on in in it's 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 full on panic. Like, do they even score enough points to overcome that the rest of the game? I'm not sure they did. No, I think, I think Creighton was right around 58 at that point. When the third one, when the third one got fired off, so that's what I mean. Like the game was too out of control for them. They 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 weren't going to do enough right, and Creighton wasn't going to do enough wrong in that amount of time. And I know you're thinking like Xavier was 29 two, and it's like they're not doing Xavier's never happening again. Like you're not going <laughs> to see that multiple times in your lifetime, yeah. right? You know, like Xavier's a once in a lifetime meltdown slash comeback from your whatever perspective you're looking at it from. That's never happening again. So put that into your, into your. Here's a something that's happened before. Column, Providence wasn't pulling that off. You know what I mean? Xavier wasn't on tilt like that either. They were only down 17, and, the, right. and then halftime happened. So like the halftime was the reset. Providence was calling timeouts like after that reset with buckets full of water, like trying to get this, trying to keep the ship afloat. Like it was, it was a yeah. You know what I mean? No, but when the when the second time out happened, I go, "You're panicking right now." When the third one flew, I said, "It's a wrap. Call it. Call the call yeah. the game. Running clock. It's over." When Davis hit that three, that's when I was finally like, "Okay, on to the final." Yeah, I just have a shot. different perspective, bro. Because I'm telling you, like, having been out there, being in situations where we're whooping on teams, and when we're getting whipped on, like. I just I don't trust the scoreboard. I never do. As long as there's time on that clock, like I'm good to go. When Davis hit that three, and I saw Scurry go crazy on on Twitter, that's when I was just like, okay, that's game. I can I can finally <laughs> breathe. I can relax a little bit because you know me. Like the way that I'm watching the the game, I'm literally like on at the edge of my seat. Like anything that happens, I'm ready to jump up and jump into the screen. Or if I'm watching it on my projector, jump into the wall. Uh, but it's just like I just I don't trust any of these especially in this uh, time of the year and uh, you're we are we are all about to see the example of that which March Madness you know right around the corner so uh, you know me speaking of much Madness we have to get into it uh, we are a nine seed going to Fort Worth Oklahoma is that Texas. what it is Texas is Fort Worth, okay I'm I'm tripping because like I saw it on Twitter today. Anyways, Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> and, uh, You've you been know, there before. Well, I exactly. I was hoping it wasn't in Texas because yeah. of what happens in Texas. Uh, right. Yeah, but, your career ended there, as I recall. Yeah. My career ended there, and now Doug plays for that local team, and that's awesome. That's fine. That's okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fine. But we are going. We are going down to Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I'm a big NCAA conspiracy theorist. I've mentioned it how often. You know where I'm going with this. It's going to be Arthur Kaluma versus his brother in the first round. Mm-hmm. What? How, how out of all of the teams that we had a chance of playing, how is that the matchup that we're going to get? 
and then a potential I, I, Kansas second round game. I, I just I, I don't understand. But maybe you can help me make sense of all of this, Mac. Help me out here. Is this not just another cheap way for the broadcasters to be like, oh, well, brother versus brother day? <laughs> I don't know. I it it hadn't really crossed my mind because I don't know if I was if I you know it's funny, I go into selection Sunday like I'm not really thinking about who you guys are going to play ever. I don't know. Is that weird? Mm-hmm. Do you guys think about well, that? Uh, yeah, because the goal is to win it all, obviously, right? So, like, yeah. you just – and it, for whatever reason, the players' minds were always trying to manufacture the easiest path. There's no easy path, but we're always like, okay, well, if we get such and such team, like, we, we match up well against them, that'll make that first round easier, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so we always just kind of pre-calculate a little bit when it comes to that. But I remember, like – when I first started this whole conspiracy theory thing was obviously sophomore year, uh, Doug versus Harrison Barnes. And yeah. the joke is that Doug and I had talked about it uh, the day before, right? Because uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament was a week before. So we had a whole week to prepare before selection Sunday. And the night before Doug and I were just like, dude, who do you think we're going to end up facing? And Doug just out of the blue, just said like, dude, I, like, I wouldn't be shocked if I faced Harrison again. And I don't know why he said that. But it all kind of came to pass. And then that's when I was just like, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Like, this is no coincidence, you know? And then I just started going down all these rabbit holes. I started to go back, way back to, like, different matchups that, like, or, like, the fact that they'll just have it so that, like, a Kentucky-Louisville semifinal matchup is what we're going to get, you know, like, in the Final Four. They just kind of, like, figure out ways to just plant in these storylines. And then they just don't look back after that. It's, it's shameless by the incident of the selection committee. I will say that. <laughs> be crazy too. All your team that year. I don't. I think I remember being pretty shocked you were on the eight nine line. So that's funny that Doug thought he was going to be in Carolina's path somewhere. Um, yeah, and we didn't know it was going to be in Carolina either. Is he just kind of felt like, dude, like, uh, like I wouldn't be shocked. It's the way that he just put it, and then it just kind of came that way. I and. There's a photo, I'll put it up on Twitter later, and I'll tag you in it, uh, of when we get uh, the announcement of where we are and then the following announcement of who we might play against or whatever. Uh, no, actually, I guess North Carolina's name would have already been up on that board. But, like, you could see Doug's reaction as he realizes, if we beat Alabama, this is who we're going to get. And, like, I'll, I'll, I'll find the picture and I'll tag you in it on Twitter, and then you tell me that doesn't, that's not the face of someone who's literally saying, I told you so. Like, that's exactly okay. what it is. Deal. Um, yeah, like, but as far as what you're, you know, getting at with, with last night, I just don't, you know, it's funny because I kind of wonder if, like, the looked at advanced metrics and tries to figure out some contrasting styles that might be fun to see out. Because when you look at San Diego State and Creighton, it's kind of funny how similar they are. And I know that's weird to say because it's never been the case, right, in the history of this mm-hmm. little – I mean, you guys have met, you guys have hooked up a few times in non-conference play the last few years, so uh, it's never been the case, right? But, like, I was just looking at the day, and I'm like, since since Nemhard went down, so the day after that, basically, uh, Creighton's, uh, this is according to BartTorvik.com, which is basically like a Ken Palm adjacent site, uh, Creighton's 157th in adjusted offense, um, San Diego State's 147th. And then Creighton is ninth in adjusted defense and San Diego State's 11th. So basically it's like the same team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Basically right there on both sides of the metrics. Um, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, San Diego, San Diego State is a senior-laden team. They have three senior starters and they have four seniors off the bench that play about two to three rotations. Um you know, a night, and then you you just look at Creighton, like they, you know, they have Alex O'Connell, uh, Ryan Hawkins, Keyshawn Fizel, and then a bunch of babies, right? So mm-hmm. from that, it's kind of boys versus men a little bit. Um, but from a style standpoint, I don't know. Like, I think this game might be something similar to what we just saw on Saturday more purposefully, right? Because both these teams hang their head on defense, on rim protection. They're not in a super – um, they're not in a hurry to get up and down and, and let it go anymore, especially for Creighton's perspective without Nemhard. So I'm kind of curious to see what this game turns out to be. If it was a 
if it's a rock fight to 50 again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised based on the way both teams are built right now. It's going to be interesting. They weren't, San Diego State was not on my radar for a first round opponent. I thought, I thought it was going to be a team that would be, um, that would be more offensively inclined just to test out Creighton's, Creighton's defense a little bit, but that's not where the NCAA went with it. So it's going to be interesting. I definitely got to I definitely got to watch some San Diego State film to get a little bit more acclimated into how they play. If they're a team that pushes the ball up the floor, if they're a team that rather would slow it down, walk it up, uh, which is a little bit what kind of annoyed me about the Villanova game. Like Villanova was just settled into let's just walk it up, let's just run our offense, let's use all these thirty seconds, and if we get an offensive rebound, use those extra fourteen or twenty, I should say. Um, yeah, and you know in a game like that where it's a real grinded out game, it's like every possession matters that much more. Uh, so I'm anxious to see what San Diego State looks like. But again, man, like once I read that, like Kaluma had a brother that played at San Diego State, I was just like, here we go. Like they, they've already figured it out. And then to have the battle of the Midwest, Kansas versus Creighton in the second round, like they just, they just, uh, they said hey, hey, cheesy lies, man. And wait, I, a I minute, wait a minute, Johans. Steve Lutz is going to beat Kansas in a 16-1 first-round upset. So hang on a second there. Oh, Might not face by you. Wait, wait. Would that be in the same uh, bracket as, as us if Coach Lutz? Yeah. Which I was going to mention. Yeah. Shout out to Coach Lutz, man. Let's I go. Know. Let's dance. Let's do it. Shout out to Coach Lutz. First year at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, leading the Islanders, the Island Boys, to a <laughs> uh, Southland Conference title. Uh, and then we also saw D-Rock in the Missouri Valley Tournament Championship game. They ended up losing that game, but what a run by the Drake Bulldogs this year. Shout out Tucker DeVries, man. It's so cool to see Ooh. all these guys uh, who, you know, have helped me, obviously, as far as coaches, Coach Lutz and D-Rock, they've helped me tremendously. I saw Tucker grow up right before my very eyes at the CMB stud as a freshman. Uh, so, man, it's, it's just so, it's bad, so cool to see boy, for sure. He? He's he is. And he's like He's like six nine. Like that's what like kills me about it. He's like, yeah. he's a big time. He's a big guard. He's a yeah. really big guard. Like he's got a little bit of Larry Bird game in him. But we'll talk about it another. Uh, the NBC another is day. not gonna like that boy. They're not gonna like. No. That oh, I I know. He's he's not gonna be like for the foreseeable future. Mm. Uh, but yeah. So you're saying that if the Islanders beat Kansas, they're, yeah, so they're gonna well, be on our side of the bracket. Texas A&M Corpus Christi is in that 16-16 play-in game. So they got to right. win their, They got to win, you know, on Tuesday. Against think, Texas Southern. Yeah. And then they get Kansas after that. So, yeah. It, you know, it might be Lutz versus Mack in the second round if, if, if they can make some history. So. Somehow, some way. Either, either, but isn't that theories. a storyline thing? <laughs> that makes it even worse, doesn't it? It's not even the Kansas angle that the NCAA was going for. They're like, hey. Let's have him play one of his assistants. <laughs> Thank you for finally seeing it my way. I, I, I hope that I've opened your eyes at least just a little bit. Oh, man, that's incredible. I, oh, I didn't realize because I thought that that 16-16 matchup was going to go elsewhere. I didn't realize it was going to end up in our side of the bracket. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it's going to make for interesting TV for sure. Uh, again, you guys who are incidentally conspiracy theories such as I am, just pay attention to those cheesy one-liners that they're going to feed into the earpiece of these broadcasters and don't let it fool you. This has been planned since basically two weeks ago when you're trying to figure out who was going to be on what side of the brackets. All right. So that's just my take on it. I'd love to be proven wrong. I've had a uh, Raz on the podcast and he tried to, he tried to convince me because he's been on those selection committees before that they really pay attention to such and such. And as much as I love Raz, I basically just had to <laughs> slap that idea out of his mind and just kind of tell him what my uh, conspiracy theory was. So I'm glad that he actually listened to me, even though he probably thinks I'm, I'm stupid for thinking that way now. But uh, that's just the way that I think, and I did, I'd love to be proven wrong one of these days. Jay, I'm with you. In the, in the, in the Creighton Cinematic or Podcast universe, we, we don't believe in coincidence, so... <laughs> And that's 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 facts too, because I've been on yours and we've spoken about things like this too. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it's going to be exciting TV uh, for sure. On to the ladies' side, uh, who also gained a berth in the NCAA tournament. The ladies are going to be going to Iowa City, and they're going to be facing Colorado in the first round. Uh, they had a, a decent run in the Big East uh, tournament as well. Uh, Flan just did a hell of a job coaching the girls up this year. 
Uh, great Big East regular season record. Great uh, Big East tournament season appearance. And now they've earned their spot into uh, the NCAA tournament. Talk to me about the ladies and what they have to look forward to in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I haven't done a, <clears throat> a whole lot on Colorado just yet, just some service level stuff. But, you know, I, know, I mean, they're it's funny because they started like 13 and 0 and then they lost like six out of seven. And then they've since then they've won eight out of 10 coming into the tourney. And their only two losses are to Stanford, who hasn't lost to anybody in the Pac-12. So um, you can kind of forgive those. I think, you know, it's Colorado doesn't like try to play with a lot of pace, but this might sound weird. They don't play with a lot of pace, but they move quick in the half court. Like they, they don't, the ball doesn't stick very much. Um, they're really long. They look pretty athletic and quick. Uh, they like to go inside. They like to cut a lot. So, you know, Creighton's got to be sharp with their, with what they're seeing defensively. Um, it's not a team that's going to just destroy you from three point range. Although they do have one shooter who's pretty healthy about around the 40% range who shoots a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, just defensively, they got to make sure that there's a lot of moving parts that are going to come at them. They're going to come at them fast. They're going to come at them with some physicality. So they got to be ready for that. And then I think that, you know, the rest of it is like just getting sharp with your rhythm offensively because they haven't played um, since I think March 5th. Uh, so they got to get that mojo back offensively um, as quickly as possible because, you know, you know what the NFL tournament's like. It just takes you a minute to get your feet underneath you. And then, uh, and then when you're, you know, when you're, when you get rolling offensively, you have to figure out, you know, how to feel comfortable and whatnot. So it'll take, it'll take them a minute to get, uh, to get all that figured out. But once they do, I think it should be a pretty good game. And then they're in Iowa city, you know, with the Caitlin Clark's Hawkeyes on the other side of the, or wait for likely waiting for them in the second round. And you know, it's a homecoming game for Rachel. <laughs> yeah. so, I, I already, I already saw her advertising it on Twitter. Yeah. I already yeah. saw her advertising, Tatum, advertising Tatum it on Twitter. Colorado kid playing Colorado. So, yeah, I, mm. I can't calm you down anymore from your conspiracy theories here. Hey, the women's hey, side Jordan, is loaded with it. Join the dark loaded side, brother. I've been, I've been telling you. Go ahead and join the dark side of the NCAA <laughs> web. Like, we we are in here in these, in these uh, web forums talking about all these potential matchups that the – tournament is trying to conspire to put together so go ahead and join the dark side of the web brother and come yeah, in these forums and talk with me about how if, crazy these matchups are if creighton and iowa end up playing it's it's you're gonna laugh at how many storylines are involved in this like yeah i mean first of all creighton and iowa i don't know if a lot of people know this but Creighton and Iowa play each other in a closed scrimmage every single season. Every year. Iowa. Yeah, every, every single year. time. Every <laughs> single year. Like, going back to when I could be like 2011, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I swear, because uh, I remember when we had uh, – we played Colorado one year. We played Iowa State one year. Uh, we played Iowa one year in those closed scrimmages. And I remember asking Carly Tritz, who was a player at the time, I'm like, wait, so who are you guys playing in that closed scrimmage? And every year she's like Iowa. Iowa. Oh, no, we're playing Iowa. Iowa and Iowa I'm City. Like, every, I, thought, I thought you played Iowa last year. Yeah, no, we're playing him again. It's just it's so funny how like that yeah. always works out. And then and then obviously Caitlin Clark is like a stud and a national player of the year candidate, yeah. but she's also the cousin of Audrey Faber, who was a stud at Creighton recently. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? It's and then you factor in Rachel being from Iowa City, like it's, you're gonna have some storylines going out of your ears if they match up together. Also, two Midwestern programs, which means that they compete every year for players, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you have all of that in the background as well. So, uh, if that does end up being the matchup in the second round, I mean, we're, again, like, pay attention to the cheesy one-liners, <laughs> guys. Like, that is that is the way to really tell whether or not it's been planned. Um, but, you know, that that is uh, – it, it's going to be interesting for the ladies, obviously. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough first-round matchup for both the men's and the women's. Um, for sure. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to all of it for sure. Uh, it's going to be exciting times. Uh, I, it's looking like you have to start getting ready for this media availability that's coming up. So I'm certainly don't yeah, want to hold up any more of your time. It's, it's starting to come together a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I miss my gym so much. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sign off now. I'm gonna let you go to work, obviously, and do what you do. I'm, I'm excited to see, obviously, what you are going to put together as far as like a NCAA tournament uh, 
preview after you get all these uh, talking to the talking to the players, talking to their coaches and stuff like that. That'll give us a little bit more insight uh, as to what we get to look forward to as Creighton fans for both the men's and the women's side. Uh, just to make sure that we're up on game, can you let us know, you know, after you put all that stuff together, where to find you? Uh, on Twitter, obviously, you're very active talking about uh, men's and women's basketball. So where can we find you and where can we keep up to date with all this NCAA tournament uh, stuff, yeah. Korean edition? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, make sure you just hit up the White and Blue Review Network on iTunes and you'll get, you know, subscribe to that. And then you'll get the Scurry and the Scrub podcast, the Blue JB podcast, whenever it comes live. Um, and then whiteandbluereview.com for, you know, all the written coverage and everything that we'll have going on this week um, and this weekend. And then you follow me at MJDMarinas on Twitter um, for all your live game tweets and random 3 a.m. nuggets that I come up with in my research. So Perfect. Guys, uh, the tournament is upon us, both for the men's and women's. As Dave's fans, make sure if you're able to get out there, make sure you go support the ladies, make sure you go support the boys. Uh, you know me, I'm going to be watching from afar out here in Poland. I know you're going to be wall. in the house. On the wall. Yeah, on the wall, baby. I'll be ready to run through that wall for sure. I know that you're going to be in the house for sure. So looking forward to, you know, keeping up with the boys, keeping up with the girls through your Twitter feed and obviously to your podcast and, and all of the reporting that you do. Keep up the good work, brother. I appreciate you stepping into the J with me. Is there any last uh, thing that you want to say to Crane fans out there? No, man, I just appreciate always – Time well wasted with you every single time we record. So I love it. I love it. Time, time well wasted is the perfect way to describe what we did. <laughs> this was Matt DeMarinas. I appreciate you, brother. I'm your host, Johannes Maniga. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. Uh, again, if you guys keep listening to what I'm saying, I promise you I'll have something to talk about, and I'm just going to keep yapping away for you guys. So uh, I appreciate all the love and, I appreciate all the love and support. Uh, let's go. It's tournament time. I'm excited about this. It's time to get going. It's time to try to hang a banner if we can. All right. So again, if you guys are able to go support the ladies, able to go support the men's, make sure that you get those travel arrangements ready, get your hotels booked, go out and be uh, in full force as Blue Jay Nation because these guys are going to need your love and support. Uh, and as always, make sure that whatever you do, you stay safe and go Jays.